Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Hollywood Sources Podcast is brought to you in association with SSE Berwick Bank. We all want a clean energy system that creates jobs, tackles climate change and supports local communities. But to get there takes more than just ambition. It takes action. In Berwick Bank, Scotland can build the world's largest offshore wind farm. That's right, the biggest anywhere, creating thousands of jobs in the process. SSE, as Scotland's clean energy champion, can't wait to get started. As soon as the project gets the green light from the Scottish Government... Learn more at berwickbank.com. The podcast starts now. Welcome to the Hollywood Sources podcast. Thank you very much for joining us for some of our festive specials. Uh, while Jeff and Andy may be having some sort of, you know, Christmas-related parties and downtime, that doesn't mean the politics should stop. I know you agree. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being with us since we launched as well, which was, what, about 10 months ago? Gosh, it's been a mad old time, and we've done a lot, and we're so grateful for you listening. Perhaps this Christmas you could give the gift of a link to this podcast, to your politics-loving friends. We're heading into a general election year, by the way. There's nowhere else they need to be, apart from Hollywood sources. We've got you covered. As it's the festive season, we thought we'd look back at some of our biggest and best interviews of the year. And what we're doing, rather than just sort of lumping loads of them together, we're taking parties per episode, political parties per episode. So in this episode, we're highlighting our SNP guests who have joined us throughout the year. And there is no other place to start than with arguably one of the moments of the year for the Hollywood Sources podcast, just a couple of months really after we launched we invited some of you to come along and enjoy a live recording of the podcast with First Minister Hamza Youssef. That was back in August at the Johnny Walker Experience in Edinburgh in front of a room packed with well the best podcast listeners going actually 
you. Hello. Good to see you. Good. How are you? Good to see you. You all right? I was going to say he's Come got a different drink to me, but I'm, uh, I'm actually having beer. As is in, in, a, in a mug, yeah, it was well <laughs> hidden. <laughs> it's not whiskey. <laughs> made Always to be measured. Made, made to be, to be measured. measured. Uh, great to see you, First Minister. Thank, Thank you for so being much. here. Um, I mentioned badly managed podcasts that you've done in the last couple of weeks. Are you? Can I just clear? It? Are you going to swear on this podcast? <laughs> I've no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I will try my best uh, to be well behaved. My mum did send me the screenshot of the news article afterwards, and she did say. Um, I hope you didn't say the full word because uh, it was asterisked out uh, to which I may have told no I didn't I told you um, I will do my best to be my okay. best behaviour well, that's all we can ask that's, that's all we can ask do you know something I'm, I'm interested in just as we sort of say hello to you and, and, yeah. and welcome you onto the podcast you know how has the transition been for you from being a minister to being first minister you had government experience previously what is it like now I mean, just nothing can quite prepare you for the transition. It is huge, actually. And it's um, much uh, bigger a transition than I would have thought. Because I thought, as you say, I've been in government uh, 11-odd years, taking on some pretty big roles, I think it's fair to say. Within government, there's no shortage of a national profile, uh, even. But it is completely different in how it changes your life. But also just how you, how you um, your day-to-day uh, job and, and, and uh, how you have to try to navigate uh, the political landscape. So it doesn't matter what position you're in. I was Cabinet Secretary for Health, as you know, uh, during a pretty challenging uh, period uh, indeed. But no matter how challenging or difficult the decision was that you had to make, there was always the backstop of the First Minister. You could go into the office, have five, ten minutes, have that conversation, run something past uh, Nicola and go, right, OK, that's the right decision to make. Uh, I am the backstop. And yeah. um, you know, people come to me and you've got to be absolutely all over the detail of every single brief uh, in government. And you've got to trust your, your team. And, and for politicians, most of us are control freaks, uh, frankly. And you know, just having to let go of a little bit of that control and making sure uh, that your team are empowered uh, to make decisions um, and the right decisions. Uh, yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a transition. Quite a change. Quite a change. And then your life changes entirely. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I mean, it was, the, the result was on the, the 27th, wasn't it, of, of March, mm-hmm. on the Monday in Murrayfield, got the result and you know, I spoke to my family and then you know, I need to go to the loo and they came out and there's two security guards there. I'm like, <laughs> are you for me? Like, and, and they've not left my side since. Really? And then it's a completely different... Uh, way of of living. I mean, um, those uh, who have kids will know, uh, or you may be better than I am as a parent, but um, making plans with kids can be quite challenging. It's a bit last minute, Mm. Um, but you can't really be last minute because your security needs to know where you're going, what you're doing. It's kind of just having a trip to the park has suddenly become a lot more complicated. So yeah, there's a whole adjustment that I could talk for hours. I won't, but I could talk for hours about how life has completely um, changed. I suppose as part of that as well, do you, do you feel like you are leading the SNP at the most difficult time in its history? Certainly one of the most difficult periods. I, I, struggle, I struggle to think of a more difficult time, but there, there have been challenges. I was talking to a member, uh, one of our members of the Scottish Parliament, has been in the SNP for a long, long time, almost, um, almost four decades, uh, she was telling me. And she did say, look, we have come through tough times 
before. And I, I remember, you know, John Swinney's leadership and, 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 and difficult times then. Um, I wasn't in the party. Uh, I don't remember more difficult times in the, in, in the 70s and 80s. But certainly we've had difficult times. But uh, this is without a doubt some of the most challenging months the party's faced. And to be frank, we don't know what the future uh, holds either. And it could be more challenging before it gets, before it gets easier. Mm. Just on that, I mean, <clears throat> challenging times in the party, no doubt. But before 2007, the SNP had never been in government, mm -hmm. never won a national election. So the opportunity to affect change, the opportunity to chart a different course is there, and it's of your making if you choose it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the exciting part. People ask me time and time again, um, you know, for the, almost every day in the 130-odd days that I've been uh, First Minister of Scotland, they say to me, you know, if you knew what, what was coming, you know, would you still have done it? You know, do, do you really enjoy it? And my answer to that is absolutely, because you do not get the chance many times in your life, I suspect never more than once, to be First Minister of Scotland. And it's a huge honour, as well as a massive opportunity. For those of us, and I suspect this, everybody in this room, love our country, the opportunity to lead it for however long, years and years, months, I don't know if you outlive the lettuce, I don't know, whatever <laughs> it is, however long you have, to be able to make that change uh, at this level, on this scale, uh, to me is such a massive opportunity. Shape the direction of the country, achieve something huge. And my, mm. uh, my desire, of course, is, is, is for Scottish independence to achieve uh, one of the biggest things I think our country will experience in hundreds of years. We'll get to that for sure, for sure. I want to ask you about something that was happening today. This is Sir Keir Starmer's visit to uh, Rutherglen and Hamilton West. It's fair to say, is it not, that it's Keir Starmer's by-election to lose at this point? Well, I mean, the Labour have, have practically kind of put up the bunting and, and uh, kind of popped the champagne corks already. They're talking not about winning the by-election. They're talking about by, by what margin they're going to win uh, the by-election. So they're, they're, they're extremely, well, I would say complacent, uh, if I'm honest. And, and I don't think they should be. I mean, I've spent many, many weeks, in fact, months now, knocking doors in Rutherglen and Hamilton West. And it's, of course, going to be challenging, mm -hmm. given the circumstances of Margaret Ferrier, given the circumstances... Uh, of the party, it's going to be difficult, um, but I'm certainly not despondent or without uh, hope at all. I mean, our vote uh, is strong, but it needs a reason to come out and to make sure it votes uh, for us. And there will be uh, tactical voting in a seat that's often changed hands between ourselves uh, and Labour. But uh, yeah, Labour are, 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 I think, complacent, and that's a dangerous place to be. I was just thinking, Hamza, when you said about you know one chance to lead. So I, I, it would probably be a fair uh, analysis of certainly the 2016 to 2021 government, that it was, it was competent but managerial. Might not have been particularly radical. Um, you've obviously entered at a pretty difficult time in terms of getting through the noise that's going on and getting your own vision there. Is, the, is, is there something in the background there? Are you ready to be radical? Because Scotland has a lot of problems now that it didn't have in... 2016, some that are needing quite urgently fixed. I mean, and I think people would forgive you for holding back a bit because of everything that's been going on. But is it ready? Is it there? Maybe even after the general election, as you run up to Holyrood, to say this is what Yusafism is. This is what I am now. I'm just not a continuation of what's gone on before. I've actually got a new and better idea. 
Yeah, but, I mean, we'll call it euphemism. For that reason, we're trying to get Jeffology. Yeah, Jeffology. We're trying to get Jeffology. Euthanomics. I'm not sure. No, quite working. <laughs> I, I, I think. I think uh, two things. Uh, one, the cut through point is a really important one. Uh, it's been one of the biggest challenges. Let's be. Let's be frank. In the in the first, as I say, few months of the role, and really, <laughs> you talked about not swearing, so I'll do my best here. Thank but you, um, you know, I, I, I remember the first. You know, first couple of weeks of of being first. Not even first couple of weeks. First few days. Of being First Minister, obviously there's a lot of ceremony you have to go through uh, and, 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 and it was a great honour to be part of that ceremony in terms of courts, the session, the vote in Parliament, etc, etc. Um, and we, th- like, we get ourselves to Easter recess and that's the point where you've got two weeks, no parliamentary business, you'll go out there, everybody's dead interested in what Hamza Yusuf got to say. We go out there, we had a whole, whole policy platform, here's visits that we're going to do uh, to talk about X, Y, and Z. A really good visit for the first day. It was in the northeast, talking about just transition. Additional funding announced for that. Second day, Peter Murrow gets arrested. <laughs> That's it. They're blown out of the water, you know, for the next two weeks, if not longer, actually, mm. but certainly that two-week period. Okay, we've got another opportunity. Policy prospectus. This is your document. This is what you're going to deliver. It takes you up to 2026. Colin Beattie gets arrested. That, that day in part? On that yeah, day. Yeah, it was. On yeah. that day. And so getting cut through, I'm kind of scared about what happened to PFG, uh, right enough, but um, we go back for programme for government. But it is one of those ones where cut through and trying to get cut through, I think, has mm. been one of the, the, the biggest challenges. Yeah. In terms of being bold, being radical, uh, absolutely. What I've, I suppose what you've also got to do is, uh, is the leaders try to play to your strengths. Mm. So where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? Understanding those. I think my strengths have often been trying to bring people with us on a journey, trying to listen to even those voices that will oppose us. I've been spending a lot of time these last few weeks and months listening to people that wouldn't naturally be aligned to us. In fact, some of them actually openly hostile, meeting with them, hearing from them. Okay, you may not agree with me, my politics, certainly might not agree with independence, but you know what? You're a wealth creator, you're a business man, woman, uh, you're an innovator, Let's hear what you've got to say. Yeah. What can we do better? I think that's that's the t- well. As I say, uh, you'll you'll find out in a couple of weeks' time in terms of the programme for government, uh, the, the the vision that um, I hope to, and the direction. Just tell us now if you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As an exclusive. Now, I just want to say at this point that in 2024 we have got huge plans already for some more events similar to that one. If you would like to be the first to know, well, first of all, make sure you follow the podcast because we'll make the announcements here first. And in second place will be people who are subscribed to our mailing list, which is completely free to join. You will not be spammed. It's just to keep you up to date. To sign up to that, go to hollyroodsources.com and click onto the page that says, get our emails. Pop in your email address, click the confirmation email that comes through, and that's it. You'll be up in line to hear about our brilliant event next year. Worth saying also that of course, you can listen to the rest of that episode with Hamza Youssef. It was 90 minutes um, where we spoke to the First Minister and uh, he gave us, well, that exclusive. You can hear that on the podcast. I know you want to. Uh, scroll back in your podcast feed back to August. Now, speaking of exclusives, actually, following the leadership election that Hamza Youssef won, uh, that led to him being announced as SNP leader and then First Minister of Scotland, Kate Forbes, who was also in the running and came second to Hamza Youssef, joined us on this podcast exclusively 
after losing. Hello, lovely to be here. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. This is an exclusive interview with Kate Forbes, by the way. Uh, You will not hear her anywhere else. We're very grateful. Very grateful for that and very grateful for your time. Um, I I want to start, actually, just by asking, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. It's been quite the tumultuous week, I think. But after five weeks on a roller coaster, it's actually been really nice to get home, to settle down, to put all the washing on and to make sure that uh, we've got enough food in the fridge. <laughs> Did it feel like a like a long five weeks or a short five weeks? Oh, it felt like five years, I have to say. <laughs> it was packed. I think we had hustings almost every night during uh, those weeks. And even after voting opened, uh, we were still doing hustings. And of course, just travelling around the country. So uh, from Inverness to Dumfries, which is the way a contest should be fought, uh, but certainly it was it was not the short contest that it was being branded at the outset. Yeah, it's interesting that, and I, I have to say, and I said this on the Times Radio programme as well, that we were actually quite in awe at how available you were as candidates, whether it be at hustings or TV debates or radio debates or whatever, that actually you were you were in front of people all the time, and that it, that must be exhausting, actually. Um, yes, but actually. That is the way I think democracy should operate. Mm. I mean that genuinely, that we were constantly being scrutinised, questioned. I don't think anybody could blame us uh, for hiding from the cameras, but also from from members. And, you know, the SNP is a a large party, despite, you know, questions about membership. We're still a huge party. And so to allow as many members as possible to come and put their questions, I think was, was really good. How easy or or difficult was it for you to decide to run? It was extremely difficult. So I've said this to a lot of people, but that first weekend before I concluded that I would go for it, I was so torn because I had been on maternity leave for six months at that point. I'd barely read a newspaper. My primary source of information was mother and toddler groups (laughs) in the Highlands. And, you know, I've loved being on maternity leave I've loved having a little baby and it was a case of being thrown in at the deep end right into the full glare of national media and in some cases international media and I knew that was coming and I knew that by one um, I'd be saying goodbye to any work-life balance so I was really torn but what actually pushed me over the edge to go for it was the fact that I was a young mother in that I looked at my little girl and I felt like I had a great vested interest in doing everything I can to make Scotland the best place for her to grow up and for her peers to grow up in as well. So in a sense, the one thing that was saying I shouldn't go for it was the very thing that was telling me I had to go for it. And I listened to that second voice. Do you feel like you were that you were welcomed into the contest by by the SNP and by the by the country I suppose what's your in a sort of retrospective hindsight feel on that was it was yes. it a warm thing to be a part of yes because you have to remember who we're talking about when you say the SNP the SNP to me are my local activists they're my local branch members they are my family and friends who I've grown up with in many cases and I wouldn't have run had I not felt their encouragement and their support 
prior to that weekend I decided, uh, not just on that weekend. So yes, there was a welcome from people who had been encouraging me to think of it for some time and encouragement from those who felt like I had something to offer, not just to the role of First Minister, but to the debate, you know, to make sure that the debate dealt with issues around the economy, dealt with rural issues, mm. dealt with issues that might affect uh, women and, and young families. So there was definitely a lot of warmth um, when, I, when I said I was going to run. Yeah, Kate, it's, it's Jeff here. Um, I, I thought it was quite interesting when uh, you said it was an extremely difficult decision and uh, your, Naomi there made a, a loud exclaim, um, <laughs> I, I thought, to, to kind of agree with that. Um, let's turn to the, the, the first week then, uh, the, which was hugely kind of controversial in terms of you espousing your, your personal beliefs. Were you surprised at the sheer weight and kind of eminence, if you will, of the response to that, not just from people in the party, but out with that as well? And did it ever actually make you think, do you know what, I might just not want to do this anymore and, and stand aside from the contest? Well, it wasn't a surprise to know that it was a matter of interest because I've stood for election twice, won both times, but of course, on a local level, questions and queries were raised because in a democracy, you want to know what somebody stands for, but also who they are. I think the scale of it, though, was absolutely overwhelming. And bear in mind that before I'd said a word over that first weekend, you know, I hadn't said a word in the public domain for six months. And... The press and Twitter were almost in meltdown about who I was and what I believed. So I knew that before I launched, there would be this would be the primary question. I suppose I hoped that once it had been answered, we'd be able to move on. And of course, I wanted to be honest with the electorate. I didn't want to look like I was running from giving direct answers or hiding who I was, because I figured that people would, uh, you know, just make that the primary issue uh, to attack me with. And I thought by answering directly, we'd be able to move on, knowing that the electorate would then make an informed decision. So I was surprised at the scale of it and for how long it lasted and how long it took for us to get on to more substantive issues of policy, i.e. things I actually wanted to do, not issues that were related to who I am. And did I ever think of leaving? I mean, you always weigh up the impact on your family and you weigh up what other people are saying to you by ain't no quitter. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I'm not a quitter and I was probably unlikely to, to ever quit because I believe that when I set my face to do something, I do it no matter the challenges. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Holyrood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with SSE Berwick Bank. We all want a clean energy system that creates jobs, tackles climate change and supports local communities. But to get there takes more than just ambition. It takes action. In Berwick Bank, Scotland can build the world's largest offshore wind farm. That's right, the biggest anywhere, creating thousands of jobs in the process. SSE, as Scotland's clean energy champion, can't wait to get started. As soon as the project gets the green light from the Scottish Government. Learn more at berwickbank.com. You are listening to a special edition of the Holyrood Sources podcast, and we're looking back at our year on this episode with the SNP. Earlier this year, Conservative peer David Frost made headlines after sharing his views on devolution. In short, Lord Frost said that the SNP's independence campaign has come close to, quote, dismembering the country, as he doubled down on his stance that devolution should be reversed. We put these thoughts to Joanna Cherry, who's the SNP MP for Edinburgh South West. I mean, I think the last thing that Scotland needs right now is a lecture on how we should be governed by an unelected Tory peer who undermined democracy in Northern Ireland and threatened the Good Friday Agreement with his inept deals negotiated when he was the chief Brexit negotiator. The Tories were quick out of the trap to condemn him. Uh, they must have been raging with him, as Jeff says. <laughs> the SNP uh, is in a lot of difficulty at the moment. But of course, what David Frost seemed to forget was, even if you look at the polls now, SNP support has gone down a bit, yes, but support for independence is holding up in the high 40s. More importantly, I think recent social attitudes surveys showed very high support for devolution. And back in 1997, we had a referendum which established it was the settled will of the Scottish people, you know, three quarters support for devolution in those days. That's the kind of support I'd like to see for independence. I'd like to see the SNP working to make independence the settled will of the Scottish people so that at a vote on independence, we could deliver a resounding majority so that you know we could really take as many people with us as possible. Getting back to Frost, I mean, his attack on, on the SNP was really an, an opportunity for us in the SNP to remind people about all the problems the Conservatives have. You know, Frost himself is an unelected peer. Uh, both the current Prime Minister, who I was just meeting earlier today, and the previous Prime Minister have convictions for breaking uh, the COVID regulations. We're currently awaiting an outco- the outcome of an investigation into whether Boris Johnson uh, misled Parliament. We've had the havoc wreaked on the economy by Liz Truss and Quasi Quarting, and there's still multiple questions over donations from Russian donors and about some of the terrible deals on personal protective equipment. During the COVID crisis, again, if you look at the, the business grants, one billion, only 1% of the 1 billion in business grants that went out to fraud during COVID has mm. been recovered. So it was a nice opportunity, David Frost's intervention, to uh, remind the Conservative Party of all the problems that they're currently labouring under 
and maybe take the SNP's uh, problems off the front pages for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it probably was only only a couple of days. Go on, Andy, what do you want to say about that? Just to close that off, one thing that we should be aware of. So Jeff said earlier on that um, the elected politicians, the MSPs in particular, were out very quickly against David Frost, and they were. And the elected politicians know that what David Frost said is totally toxic. It's like a 10% strategy. It's not going anywhere at all. But do not underestimate how many rank-and-file members of this party will have agreed with every single word that David Frost said. Every single word. Mm. The elected members, they get it. They know that it's going nowhere. Mm. But the members of the party in Scotland as well, definitely down south, but in Scotland as well, they will like that because the DA, in the DNA of this party is a centralisation and an antipathy to devolution, not just to Scotland, but to everywhere else. That runs through this party and it doesn't leave them. So the members will have perfectly... There's a reason why it was sitting in the Telegraph by David Frost. The members yeah. will have loved it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's playing to us uh, a small percentage of Scottish society. And, you know, we don't know how members how many members the Scottish Conservatives have. But I think Douglas Ross said six or 7,000 recently, which is less than ALBA have, and ALBA have only been in existence for a couple of years. So I thought that was quite an interesting stat. But I suppose I don't, I'm not worried about what David Frost says. I think devolution is big enough to survive the challenges that any single party faces. I mean, it survived the death in office of Donald Dewar, the resignation of Henry McLeish, the collapse of Scottish Labour, and I think it will survive the difficulties in my party. Yeah. Reflecting on what Andy said there about, you know, there is a small constituency that this appeals to, doesn't make it any better. I mean, it's a, it's a silly strategy. So, so, so it's not a recipe for success. It's a recipe for failure. Mm. Um, and by espousing these views and appealing to that very small percentage, it's not going to help his cause or indeed his party's cause one bit. I wonder if what it does do, Joanna, is shine a bit of a light on what is the SNP's strategy for independence right now. Well, we don't really know. I mean, I don't know what the SNP's strategy for independence is at the moment. But in fairness to Hamza, he's not been in office very long. He's had an awful lot to deal with. And we do need to get that special conference rearranged that we were supposed to have before Nicola resigned and we had a truncated leadership election. But I think you're right to bring that up, Callum, because one of the things I find quite frustrating, one of the many things I find frustrating about the SNP's, what seems to be the SNP's current strategy, is too much of a focus on defending devolution and not a mu- not enough of a focus on recognising the shortcomings of devolution, and that's really why we want independence. You know, the party needs to stop banging its head off the brick wall of devolution stop taking legal challenges on devolved issues against the British government, which it can't hope to win. If you're going to litigate um, as a politician, you need to litigate strategically. And you don't want to, you know, the public get annoyed by too much constitutional litigation. You, you want to not use up your capital on hopeless causes. And if you are going to litigate, you need to think very long and hard about how you're going to do it. So, for example, in relation to what I consider to be the fiasco of the previous first ministers of to the United Kingdom Supreme Court on the issue of whether or not Holyrood had the competence to hold an independence referendum. I think that was done in a very cat-handed way. You know, I and others who thought there was a legitimate argument that Holyrood might have that competence had been arguing for years that we might want to test that. But I didn't mean by going cap-in-hand to the Supreme Court and asking them the question with a Lord Advocate who wasn't sure what the answer was. And that's no disrespect to Lord Advocate. She's a friend mm. of mine. That was her opinion. And I have the highest respect for her. Um, But, you know, if you're going to be litigating on an issue like that, what we should have had 
is, you know, Nicola could have selected a Lord Advocate who held the view that it was competent. She could have put a bill through Holyrood and then she could have defended that bill in the sort of trenchant way that Hamza is currently defending the Gender Recognition Reform Bill. The difference would have been that she would have had public buy-in as well as party buy-in. I don't think there's much public buy-in on the Gender Recognition Reform Bill. And I think that litigation is, is probably doomed to fail. I don't approve of the British government blocking a bill passed by uh, Holyrood. I'd like to see problems made in Scotland sorted out in Scotland. But the harsh reality is it is a fact of devolution that the British Parliament is sovereign. It is a fact of devolution that Section 35 exists. No one ever made any issue about it before. When I was first elected and we were making numerous amendments to that Scotland bill after the NDREF, nobody tried to take out Section 35 say no one ever really thought it would be used mm. but I think it, it's a fact of devolved parliaments around the world that occasionally the supreme parliament its overlord pulls the rug out from under their feet, that's why we support independence, so of course we should defend devolution but I think the SNP needs to stop expending so much political capital fighting battles that can't win over devolution and instead apply its intellect and its energy to addressing the, the big issues that People who voted no in 2014 want answered before they'd be prepared to switch their votes to yes. Speaking of SNP parliamentarians who have made headlines in 2023, let's turn now to SNP MSP Fergus Ewing who made headlines in September when he had the whip removed from him due to his continued public lack of confidence in Hamza Yusuf and in the Scottish Government. Fergus joined us on the podcast in August, and even then you got a sense of the tension within the SNP. The atmosphere in Holyrood is, is uh, not particularly happy now within the SNP group, I'm afraid to say, and, and uh, so much so that, frankly, there's many of people in the cabinet and the leadership that haven't uttered a word to me or vice versa for well over a year. And it's very sad. And, and I, I, I do think that they would have done better to have listened to, to people like me when I set out very detailed, logical, rational objections to some of the policies they've been pursuing, notably deposit return, short-term let regulations on tourism, which is disastrous, the HPMAs. Um, eventually they were forced to defer deposit return on HPMAs. But instead of doing so in a way that showed leadership and initiative, they did so in a sort of reluctant, resentful, truculent way, which is what nobody's support. So the atmosphere is, 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 I'm afraid, not particularly happy. Does that bother me a great deal? Uh, frankly, I, I don't give a damn. Um, that's, I'm, not, I'm not there for a social club. I'm not there to have a happy time in the bar. In fact, I don't think I've been to the bar in the Scottish Parliament the last two, last two sessions, frankly, too busy. I'm there to do a job for Scotland. I, I'm in a privileged position of being, repre- being a representative of a major, hugely important part of Scotland. And if, if people don't like me or, or if they don't like my ideas, well, that's just tough because you know, I've reached the stage now where... Um, you know, I can see very clearly what I think needs to be done. Um, I respect others who may disagree with me, but I'm certainly not going to be deterred simply because um, there, there's a bit of a to- toxic atmosphere amongst the, the SNP group in, in Holyrood. I'm afraid to say that I think we've, we've already forfeited the trust of a great deal of constituents over this issue. You know, we've, we've gone a long way down the road of losing faith because... 
frankly, we've strung people along. And the kick in the teeth, really, was the failure of the tomato and moi tendering, a failure which, frankly, had been predicted by industry sources. Um, and the, the retention of a deadline of completion by 25, which for the last few years everyone has known to be uh, unachievable. Um, so it is an issue of confidence for many of my constituents. And, you know, Hamza is, is a new leader. He was elected with a mandate, a narrow mandate, and he's entitled, therefore, to have a shot, to have a chance. But my feeling is that that chance is slipping away from his grasp unless he makes good on the fundamentals. And one of them is our unimplemented promise to the A9 and the A96. The last thing I would say is that there has always been in the Highlands a feeling that whether it's London, Brussels or Edinburgh, government is a long, long way away. That's an undercurrent that has always existed and the Highlanders are loyal. They were loyal to the Liberals for nearly a century until they chose strange bedfellows. And maybe my party has chosen equally strange bedfellows, albeit with different proclivities from the Conservatives. That's Fergus Ewing there making his feelings known back in August. Worth saying, actually, one of the clips of Fergus Ewing went pretty viral on Twitter. If you're not following us there, I mean, it's called X now, but let's not call it that. You can go online to at Hollywood Sources and you can see our video clips as they're posted week by week. And of course, you can scroll back and listen to Fergus Ewing. The full hour long interview is available now. It is fair to say, isn't it? Surely we all agree. It's been a bit of a rocky road for the SNP 2023, losing by-elections, dealing with controversies. Stephen Flynn is the SNP leader at Westminster. He joined us back in the summer. Uh, And as always, Jeff and Andy, you know this by now, they like to put our guests through their paces. So over to Jeff for this one. Can I just tease out you, though? Surely management of expectations is crucial at this election for the SNP, right? Except everything that you have said. But if we are to believe the polls, and I think there's a big test going to come up in, in Rutherglen as well, which I suspect will be a pretty pretty challenging night for the SNP, do you not also, in, in addition to what you've said, need to be able to sort of say, look, within yourself, if not publicly, what's an acceptable amount of losses? And and Hamza's tried to articulate his independence position by winning the most seats. Is that the target that you're setting yourself? Or are you going higher than that? Do you just want to use 10? What's in your head right now? I think if any politician was to say that they were approaching um, a general election or a Scottish Parliament election or a council election by by thinking how much you're going to lose, then they're in the wrong mindset. Uh, And I'm... I'm not in that space. Um, I am very confident that if we can park the issues, resolve the issues that we've had internally within the party, focus upon connecting, reconnecting with the public on the biggest issues that matter. And by the way, I think Humza's uh, kind of set out his stall in the right direction uh, in that regards. The, the re-engagement with the business community, certainly in the northeast of Scotland, there's, there's been a lot of, of positives there. The investment that's gone directly into the cost of living crisis where the Scottish government has the the scope to do it. Well, when we make that that connection back with the, the public and, and we have that grown-up sensible discussion about the constitutional future, um, I'm I'm pretty confident that, that the SNP will be in a, a good place next year. And that's, that's my start. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. On, on all of this, Jeff. Um, and, you know, who would have thought a couple of years ago that we'd have a situation like Partygate and we'd have UK prime ministers crashing the economy and changing on an almost weekly basis. And um, camper vans in your... Ah, well, that, well, I, was, I wasn't going to put that into the mix, but cheers for that, you know. Uh, it's very important we have balance, Stephen, you know. Uh, yeah, I was waiting for Andy to add that in. Uh, but uh, cheers, Jeff, friendly fire. Uh, but, you, you know, once we're able to once we're able to articulate these, these things in the, in the heat of a general election campaign, I think I think we're going to be in a good spot. We actually recorded that episode with Stephen Flynn about halfway through the year. I wonder if he feels quite as confident. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been a little bit of a review of our year speaking to SNP politicians on Hollywood Sources. Uh, stay with us. Follow and subscribe to the podcast because coming up are more episodes with more of our political guests uh, from different parties as well. So you get a range of views. That's what you get. Make sure you follow and subscribe. They'll drop into your podcast feed over the course of the coming couple of weeks. 